0: Hello and welcome to the Morning Girl Podcast. I'm your host this week, Ian Laking, and our guest this week is Melanie Yostin, who's a writer and social worker who lives in Melbourne. She's the author of the novels Berlin Syndrome and Gravity Well, and the non-fiction essay collection A Long Time Coming, Essays on Old Age. We've had a lot of fun in the media section, and my co-host this week is Diane Sheldon Collins. We hope you enjoy it. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Morning Bell Podcast. I'm your host Ian Laking. Uh, it's great to have you with us and with me as always is my co-host, well I say as always, <laughs> it's the first time we've done this, uh, so Diane Sheldon Collins, welcome. Yeah.
1: Thank you. Uh, good to be here. And I wasn't going to point it out, but I was looking at you like, as always, really? <laughs> I,
0: yes, it's very interesting. Our erstwhile our host, uh, Joel Martin, is off uh, tripping the light fantastic on yeah. the other side of the world. Multiple continents. Multiple continents. It's a whole thing. Um, <laughs> and check out his Twitter. I'm sure he'll have it on there. <laughs> Uh, But yeah, so we're here and and enjoying hosting. Um, Diane, good week for you? Feeling good?
1: Oh, well, are we allowed to talk about politics on this podcast? Because that depends on how honest my answer is. (laughs) Depends on
0: how much our listeners love the Liberals. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, So, no, not a great week. (laughs) Um, uh, I'm not sure when this will go live, but the election was on this previous weekend. So, Mm. um, like many, many people, um, pretty devastated by that and spent most of Sunday just Trying to recover a little bit. Yeah. Um, But. Uh, apart from that emotional devastation <laughs> that I'm trying to channel into productivity and a positive outlook on, That's you know, good. change and so forth, mm. um, yeah, it's it's been a, a pretty good week. Um, just quite busy, a uh, lot of a um, lot of work and things going on at this time of year.
0: Yes, oh, excellent. Well, it is it is getting into a busy time of year as we head towards uh, the middle, the midsummer, midsummer, midwinter. Good grief! <laughs> I don't know where my head is, but I know with one Joel. person. Yeah, with Joel. <laughs> but I'll, I'll pull myself back here to to the depths of incoming winter. Um, And welcome our guest today, uh, Melanie Yostin.
2: Thank you, thank you for having me.
0: Great to have you with us. Uh, How are you today, Melanie?
2: Well, yes, yeah. It, it's nice to kind of put the weekend behind us. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. I think so. Look, I think it's interesting as well when you think about uh, federal government and we we think about uh, support for the arts, mm-hmm. and uh, that's probably one thing that I do get nervous about with any government incoming is is mm-hmm. are they going to support the arts? Yes. Mm. Yeah. And so there's
2: not very positive signs around. Mm,
0: that. No, exactly. So look, uh, I, I think that's important and. We as writers often we rely on the whether it's grants or other things they're really important so yeah mm. it's it's kind of crucial for us I think to to get that support so way that, to bring
1: we, it back to the industry <laughs> <laughs> I
0: did pretty well yeah I'm but, over
1: here like climate change racism and Ian's like the arts I'm like yeah no that's that's the point I hadn't even thought of that yet <laughs> it, it should
0: be said it is it is easy to forget these things but uh, you know the in, the industry as we know it is is changing so rapidly still <laughs> yeah um so I'm always a big supporter of any uh, party that has a good arts policy yeah it's Sur- true surprisingly. Wasn't front and centre this campaign? How yeah, oh, surprising!
2: surprising. <laughs> that's a shock, yeah. right?
0: Um, and so, uh, look, it's it's great to be here, and um, it's my first time hosting, so I'm hoping we get through the rest of this pretty smooth. Uh, the batteries didn't run out on the recorder before we started. <laughs> totally not. Never <laughs> happens.
1: If that would happen. So,
0: look, I know it's going to go well, but we'll, we'll just kick into our media section. So we're going to talk about anything we've kind of been watching or reading. Uh, so, Diane, anything that you've been kind of getting into? Uh,
1: so I'm about three years late to the party on this one, oh. but. But I uh, recently started watching The Good Place uh, Mm. on Netflix, and I'm really enjoying that. I'm nearly through the first season. It's one of those ones um, that uh, I I know a lot of what's coming because, you know, people Mm. have been referencing it for so long that I'm aware of some of the upcoming twists and so on. Ah. But it's still actually been uh, really interesting to watch because it still wasn't quite the show I thought it was. Um, Mm. And... Um, it's a it's a it's a very distinctive style of humor that really appeals to me, and yep. it's got a real, real substance as a sort of story that's a fantasy but not a fantasy, um, which yeah. I find Netflix often does quite well in their original series. That sort of um, playing around with genre in ways that don't necessarily uh, you don't necessarily watch and think I am watching a fantasy show right now, but it's like it's set in the afterlife, so mm. it's a really interesting take on particular ideas. Yep. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm having a lot of fun with that, and the nice thing about coming late to it is I have got three seasons to catch up on, Mm -hmm. so.
0: Yep, that gets you right through it. Melanie, did you get into The Good Place at all?
1: Oh, I did, but I think we dropped it around season two for Mm. no particular reason.
2: I I have heard that the third season's
1: not as good. Like, the first seems to be everyone's favourite. Yeah,
2: it took me a little while to get into it. I think it's that American style of humour that Mm -hmm. I took a while to kind of explain except where it was going, but mm. it was really, really, really nice to watch a TV show and, at the end, not feel terrible. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. Was, that
1: was good. Yeah. <laughs> Ironic, which is <for> something that's <laughs> about hell and damnation and, you know, the afterlife. <laughs> it's like, I actually came out feeling quite like yeah. I was in a good place. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, I see what yeah. you did there. Yeah, yeah, I know, that's right? Really subtle, subtle.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Yeah, we, we also came, we came to it after two seasons were out and really enjoyed kind of getting a sense of what was happening. Ted Danson, though. I have a lot oh, of time for Ted Danson. Yes.
1: He's so good in it.
0: I know. He's amazing. So, And and you know, it's, a, it's a great cast, so I, I really enjoyed it. Mm. Um, of course, we we have been religiously following uh, Game of Thrones, <laughs> which has wrapped, as we say this, a few days ago. Um, now, Diane, not quite so religiously.
1: No. So, uh, I was saying to Ian beforehand, this is my great shame as a lover of speculative fiction. I've never <laughs> actually read or watched Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Um Sorry. but Again, it's one that it's just so much a part of what I call the cultural zeitgeist that Mm. I feel like I've seen it. So feel free to spoil away. Like, I already know pretty much everything about what happened in it, so...
0: Yikes, that's all right. Melanie, uh, fan, not fan? No,
1: look,
2: I have to admit, I watched the very first episode probably a few years after it appeared, yep. and I got to the end. I've never been a huge fantasy fan, mm. but I was open to it, and I yep. got to the end and I was like, you know what? If you're going to make up a world, why do all the politics, the mm. sexual politics and everything mm. in it have to be just as bad as they are here? Yeah. Yeah, right. I sort of wanted a rewrite. I wanted to see some mm. you know, women truly in power and not just there to be mm. raped and assaulted and mm. yeah. all these other Truly violent things. So I was a bit like, you know, no. Yep. If you're going to make it up, make it up.
1: I've, um, I've heard people sort of attempt to justify that by saying it's based on history. It's the Wars of the Roses. But at the same time, it's a fantastical yeah, take on it's history. A fanta- it's you a fantasy. You still have leeway to
2: change there it. There are dragons. Yeah. If you can invent dragons, yeah. you can invent a little bit more nuanced <laughs> A little bit of gender politics, equality. Think, yeah. <laughs> Just a bit. No, I gather
1: um, as well that uh, the I, the books still have a lot of those issues. But yeah. I think that the show um, took particular scenes and made them like particularly with sexual violence I think it actually pushed them a lot further um in ways that people were largely quite uncomfortable with so I think Mm. the show's sort of particularly guilty there of taking things that weren't necessarily uh you know misogynistic in the first place for example and handmaid's tale yeah
2: Mm. yeah like that did a yep. lot of the same it yeah. was like we're critiquing it but mm. actually we're also kind mm. of partaking in it yeah. it, it
0: was interesting um, you mentioned The Handmaid's Tale what it, the violence in it got to me after I think it was I'm trying to remember. There was a certain point where I was like, "This feels like violence for the sake of violence." Yes. At some point, mm. I'm like, "You don't really need to wail on the Handmaids anymore because yeah. we, we get it. We know yeah. the power imbalance is there. You could do better by just suggesting things to us, and we can we can figure it out." I mean, mm. we already know. So at that point, it gets it gets gratuitous, and that frustrates me because it feels like you just have to do something for the sake of it. And I think Game of Thrones, towards the end, especially um, when it came to things like violence, sometimes you felt like there was just ultra violence because well, mm. we have to have some ultra violence mm. in this episode too. So <laughs> Who's getting the limb chopped yeah. off? You and there. It, it,
1: and it really relied on that shock factor mm. um, in the ways that it portrayed violence. I say this like I've seen it. <laughs> um, in the ways that it portrayed violence, um, but also even just at a, a plot level in its storytelling. Mm. Like mm. one of the big complaints I've heard about the last season is that uh, it just became, sort of like with the whole end game thing, they mm. became so obsessed with surprising people um, and not, uh, you know, letting spoilers, you know, mm ruin the experience I'm making mm. finger quotes <laughs> um, Ian uh, yeah, yeah. can attest to that and <laughs> um, uh, they became so obsessed with that that they actually gave up the good storytelling and in a lot of ways kind of disrespected the audience mm-hmm. because an audience can still enjoy something if they know where it's going. Mm-hmm. It's about the quality of storytelling, not about shocking everyone in a way that will never really make them want to rewatch anyway because it still has to hold up on a second viewing.
0: Mm. I mean, I, th- there are two things I love about uh, Game of Thrones. The first one is watching it. The second one is the memes. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> and I Reddit. can enjoy those it's even tra- without having watched it. I just get straight on there. Um, and But uh, in, in the screenwriter, forum on read it uh, someone pointed out and they, they said actually the thing that they really enjoyed the most out of the final season was that good good writing is still needed like audiences yeah. are still smart enough to say yes. we need good writing now i feel for the guys who had to bring it all together uh, for dnd am um, trying to bring it all together because they had this enormous amount of material and i kind of mm. treat the final season like mm. a synopsis almost because yeah. it's just so ridiculous it's got to be that way and uh, someone said that characters stopped having character arcs and became plot points, and I think that's probably mm. the best way to describe how they had to compact everything down. I loved the um, I loved some of the ending actually. I thought that they did some bits quite well. Um, and but for me, the, the bits that always stand out in Game of Thrones are often the plot points that George R R Martin had was going to, mm-hmm. but hadn't got to in his writing. Mm-hmm. Um, especially uh, there's the Hodor piece and and a couple of other endings which uh, were, were really well done. And it kind of made sense that when you think about how he got there. And I think that they because the, because the writers had to leap through hoops and, and compact it down. They had to get to this end point um but and it made very little sense to get to that because you had to kind of skip out the motivation and things so mm. I'll, I'll take from it I, I enjoyed it for what it was I got frustrated and you know uh, at, at times I still enjoyed you know some of the some of the battle scenes and things but for me it's kind of like okay that's done um uh, George if you're listening anytime <laughs> okay I have read the first ones I'm ready for uh, you know the, the following books so you know when those come out that'll be really good but it is what it is. A Good segue though, as you mentioned about in-game. Mm-hmm. Um, I did see in-game, Melanie. No? no, pass on in-game. That's okay. No. Did you see in-game? No, but yeah. I saw
1: Detective Pikachu.
0: <laughs> Tell me about that, please. I want to know. Um, genuinely.
1: Yeah, genuinely.
0: <laughs>
1: um, so it was. Because
0: I'm surprised. But <laughs> yeah, it's okay. yeah.
1: I, I'm I'm full of surprises, Ian. It's, fine. Um, it's uh, so. I mean, I grew up with Pokemon but I was never particularly obsessed with it so this Mm. wasn't so much of a nostalgia thing for me it was more just that um, I'd heard really good things about it Um, as one person described it to me um, I've heard that that film is way better than it has any right to be (laughs) Um, and uh, you know my friend and I just we had an afternoon to kill one day and I was like I've I've heard really good things about the Pokemon movie and I just want to go see something that's fun and light like a good action fantasy let's Mm. check it out and um, I'd said the same thing with Into the Spider-Verse when that was out like she she didn't know anything about it and I said Mm. I'm not normally into Spider-Man but I've heard this film is amazing Mm. and we went and saw it and it was mind-blowing I loved it yeah Yeah. so she was like all right because of Into the Spider-Verse I'm going to trust you on this (laughs) and at the end of Detective Pikachu she turned to me and said okay like two out of two so (laughs) pressure's on for the third one (laughs) Um, but no I basically I thought it was really it's such a weird concept taking Pokemon and mm. turning into like this noir action detective story. Yeah. And like Ryan Reynolds voicing Pikachu. I just I <laughs> yeah, I think the more you know before you go into it the more confused you yeah, are. Yeah. So I was just like I I'm, I'm going in with no expectations here. Yeah. But it was just like it was a pretty solid story. It had mm-hmm. a few potholes, but um it was It was quite family friendly. Um, Mm. I gather they had to censor Ryan Reynolds quite a bit. Um, So I was in an audience full of kids, but it was um, it was really nice because, like you know, when Mm. Pikachu first came on the screen, there was just like this um, cinema wide oh <laughs> <laughs> then he started speaking <laughs> um but, like, who's that yeah, yeah yeah um but it was just it was very fun it was cute it had some good humor in mm. it um like I just I really enjoyed it like it was um, and the effects were great like it had mm. um really I loved the way that they did uh, the city mm. um it they'd used the effects quite well to their advantage in that yeah. and so it was a really interesting use of the setting and this basic idea of mm. Um, humans and Pokemons uh, living together as actually like informing the story.
0: Wow. There we go. Okay. Yeah. Thank so, you. Sorry for <laughs> that Was extended movie <laughs> review. No, I'm going I'm I'm to I'm check it out. It's yeah. true. Um, Melanie, anything you've checked out recently that you want to. Bring to the
2: table? Um, Well, speaking of shows that make me laugh, like The Good Place, Mm. um, Tuca and Bertie on Netflix. No, no, Quite hilarious. A little bit in the vein of BoJack Horseman, uh, one of the people who is involved. Um, But it's two women, one Mm. a toucan, Tuca, voiced by Tiffany Haddish, and one a sparrow, I think she is, Bertie, voiced by Ali Wong. Oh, wow. And it's just hilarious and it's really smart and funny and Mm. sharp. And, yeah, we just laughed our way through the entire, like, first few episodes. This is so great. I mean, Bojack Horseman was a little bit darker, a little bit, yeah, more despondent there. But this is just joy.
0: So, Melanie, when you're looking to pick up a casual TV show, do you look for humour or do you like gritty realism? What's your kind of preference? I
2: don't actually get much say. My partner does (laughs) all the choosing of TV shows and I usually um, choose to go and read a book.
1: So he has to do
2: quite a bit of convincing Mm. and I'll often I have this terrible habit of watching the first episode of something and then going... This is all right, but I'm just going to get on Wikipedia and read the episodes, and yep, I'm done.
1: Oh my goodness, <laughs> that is,
0: wow.
2: Like, I cannot don't that amount of time in yeah. my life to watch TV shows yeah, so you just, that I don't love. So if yeah. I don't really, if I'm bored, if I have a moment in the first yeah. episode where I'm thinking, yeah, time to check the synopsis, then I know that's how I'll get by so. that's
0: interesting no I like that so when you start it's like the skimming moment in a book perhaps yeah. so you're like okay
2: yeah you decide to keep going or you let it go yeah. no,
0: that's alright I mean <laughs> I did try to unsuccessfully try to get my wife to, to enjoy it. something that surprised me Ryan Reynolds and uh, synopsis wise was uh, Deadpool 2 oh
1: yeah uh, which I checked
0: out so I loved the original Deadpool just for what it is it's my kind of humor i suppose it's ridiculous but deadpool 2 surprised me Mm. because it has emotional depth that i did not see coming
2: okay Um, interesting
0: and it's i don't know have you seen deadpool 2 no i haven't okay so i'm just going to put it out there that uh, it it surprised me that it kind of it it hit me in the guts really uh early on wow and so that surprised me a lot and so i thought it was some of the smartest writing i've seen Mm. for it something that is just most people who, if you're not into that kind of humor, you're going to hate it. Yeah. Uh, like, mm-hmm. My wife really does not like it. <laughs> um, I'm on board the whole for the whole thing. But um, yeah, it's, it surprised me mm-hmm. that they, and I always appreciate a comedy that can bring in uh, um, a decent emotional story And It mm-hmm. doesn't just try to charge yeah. a whole lot of scatological mm-hmm. gags. Okay, so there's yep. plenty of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Then. Deadpool but it actually is, is self aware enough to, to show some depth of what, yeah. you know, what it's about and in this case uh, it's about family and um, and children and I thought mm-hmm. that's probably why it affected me because mm-hmm. it's the kind mm-hmm. of stage of life I'm at mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah I, I was quite surprised by that. Cool. So
1: I wonder if that's um, so I haven't read the Deadpool comics either mm. but I, I've heard really good things about them as a general rule obviously with a lot of um, it's Marvel isn't it with a lot yeah. of the Marvel comics you, you can be a bit hit or miss depending on who the writer mm. is and so on but I've heard generally that Deadpool Deadpool is uh, really really well written and a really interesting character who does have a very dark sense of humor but his stories do tend to have quite a lot of substance and be quite um i guess transgressive in yeah. a lot of ways yeah, yeah so um it sounds like that does come across in the movies to a certain extent which is good
0: yeah i i appreciate anything that i, I think that without the the Mar- marvellous success of Marvel for want of a better term uh, so I mean, to say runaway success I see what success. you did there yeah so the runaway success of Marvel they would never have had a chance to make Deadpool or, or um, something like uh, Logan as well which was another mm. fantastic movie um, I do have to ask one more question Melody and mm. so if you tend to go to, to skimming mm. what is a series recently that did capture your attention and, and apart from the t- the Toucan kind of happening was there anything else that really captured you that surprised you perhaps and captured um,
2: your attention? I, one that really surprised me was The Terror
0: Okay, I've heard of. But I yeah,
2: and I've seen
1: gifts. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> and it, the reason it really surprised me was that it's got, I don't think, any women in it. Like maybe mm. one, it's about these, um, it's a, based on a true story, yep. parts of, mm-hmm. about men back in, I think maybe that. 1830s I'm not even quite sure trying to traverse the North Passage so they're off in their sailing ships and they get stuck in the ice and it's actually over a number of years because they're completely stuck in the ice and they've got to decide whether to trek out of there or not and Mm. then it's kind of got this horror element that is kind of real and kind of psychological Mm. and it was really, really good and fascinating and not what I expected. Mm. Um, and, yeah, usually one of the things whenever my partner is choosing TV shows, yep. he will always try and choose ones that have women in them because I'm yep. just like, I just don't want to hear it. all these men talking about yep. men. You know? And so <laughs> yep. this was one that somehow he got past me and I watched oh. the first episode and we were totally hooked and that was one that we watched within just a week or two, which yeah, says right. a lot yes. for us, oh. yep.
0: Well, it is a time thing, isn't it, often to, to sit it down and, and commit that, Yes. Um, which is a great segue <laughs> to our topic.
1: You're on fire, uh, today.
0: Ian. Yes, I, thank you. I, I do try. <laughs> um, and I would say, actually, just I completely forgot to say, um, Chernobyl, there are no spoilers in Chernobyl, Ooh. can I say? Fantastic.
2: I only just heard about this yesterday, and I'm very, very keen to
0: 11 say, out of 10. Sorry, what's Chernobyl? Chernobyl. T- the Chernobyl, the uh, new- yeah, I, I <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's why I was like, when you said, no, when, this... when, when yep, you said no spoilers about Chernobyl, I'm like, uh, what well, happened I've heard did of it melt that? down like that. <laughs> was a while ago, did they yeah. So I was like, what yeah. do you know about Chernobyl that I don't? I'm no, assuming it's um, some kind of story that you've discovered. It is,
0: it is Chernobyl, uh, the story. Um, I mean, the only, yeah, it's it's fantastic. That's awesome. i am
2: really clean because I read the Svetlana Aleksevich. um, Mm.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: Well, it's a book that she wrote Mm. years ago where she interviewed all of these people that were involved. Mm. So it's just their testimony, basically. Mm. So she starts off. And so it's just them speaking in the first person and she's just kind of linked it all together. And from people who were the first responders, like first on the scene or the wife of people because lots of the men who um, had to try and shut it down died. And Mm. then, you know, people who went on to live there yeah. years later mm-hmm. and she just and so it's was such a really interesting way of doing it um yeah that i'm gonna check that out like that you'll love yeah. it it's Wow, excellent
0: no so um absolutely just think about some showstoppers there they're only three episodes in and it's coming out every week so it's uh yeah, that great is um, speaking of time, <laughs> see, I ruined because yeah, yeah. I, I looked at my notes I and mean, went, oh, sh- <laughs> Um So, look, we want to talk a bit about uh, finding time to write. Now, look, uh, you know, writing is a very solitary uh, act when you're kind of starting out and you're just doing your thing, drafting, um, and then you kind of come up and, and it takes a village to, to write and edit and kind of get things done. But uh, you find yourself as life uh, kind of crashes in around mm-hmm. you. Uh, squeezing time to write can be a very challenging thing, and it's a it's a juggling act that I think all writers know about. Um, those who write full time and those who work full time and write on the side, whatever you're kind of, wherever you're at, uh, writing has to find a way of, of carving out time. So, thought we talk a little bit about that and about you know getting the energy to write and that kind of thing. So, um, Melanie, it's great having you on uh, here. Thank you. C- tell me, when you first started writing, uh, was it was it a while ago? Was it just you around at the time, or?
2: Yes, when I first started writing, I actually what I did to make even more time Mm. was move to Adelaide and I've never (laughs) been to Adelaide before (laughs) and I thought, I don't know anyone in Adelaide, I'm going to get a lot of writing done. Um, I went there for a job and thought, yeah, this is a good opportunity because I don't have huge social network to distract me. So that's when I kind of really decided to um, get stuck into it. And Mm. so I probably had a good, yeah, eight years Yeah, Yeah. of just being able to write. I've always had to work along Mm. because writing has never made enough money. Mm. Um, But I actually don't mind that because you mean to kind of get those, the small, well, you get a wage, very nice, um, but you also (laughs) get the small wins of just achieving things in your job or whatever that you don't achieve when you're working on a really big work that takes years and years to come together. So Mm. I think it's kind of a good balance to... in in that sense Mm. Um, so yeah I didn't have any any children or partner or anyone when I started writing and I was a lot more productive
1: (laughs) she says lovingly
0: (laughs) it is is true the productivity is there I mean I I, I know the moment that I started writing um, was the time I had the least time
1: uh, in my life I know it sounds weird but
0: it was actually the pressure of I was, I was running the 40 hour famine for World Vision so uh, just doing that thing and it was the most pressure I'd ever been under at work and for some reason at that moment I thought you know what I'm going to do I'm going to write a novella um, <laughs> wow. which had been kind of swimming around in my head and I had no idea what I was doing mm-hmm. so it was actually it was, the, it was for some reason it was the reverse for me that kind yeah. of I think it was brought things to a head of what I'd been kind of needing an outlet for
1: Um, It's interesting you say that because um, I used to find when I was at university, um, when I was on an assignment deadline, Mm. that was when I would read the most books or I would be the most (laughs) productive with my uh, creative writing because uh, I was just so desperate to procrastinate. Mm -hmm. um, And I was so, at the same time, so constantly aware of time and the limited time that I had that I found myself kind of like feeling quite inspired to write Mm. often and really channeling that. Mm. And then as soon as the assignments were done and like that whole time i was working on them i'd be like as soon as these are done i'm gonna be so productive i'm gonna have just like three weeks to do nothing but read and write and then i would just it would be done and i would just watch tv for three weeks because the motivation was gone so i think there's definitely something about that uh that pressure and that need to carve out time Mm. and that sort of guiltiness of knowing that you shouldn't be doing it that makes you (laughs) actually do it
0: (laughs) I like that. I like that. Yeah, the, definitely, yeah. it's um, the carving out of time. Mm-hmm. I think was a good for me at the start, but um, I think now that I, you know, as, as I've kind of progressed in my, in my journey, family has grown. So we've had we've had a, a baby in the last um, a year. So I know that that's had a big impact on kind of my time, mm-hmm. and I've had, had to find new times for writing. Um, so Melanie, you when you published your first novel, yes. was that all before pre-family kind of thing? Or was it? Yes.
2: Yeah. No, I published my first novel in 2011 and actually around the time I published I went back to uni and studied social work because I kind of decided I want to change in direction Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah that was and it wasn't I had my first daughter four years after that Um, so yeah I had um Quite a nice little bit of time mm. before having children, um, but curiously, I ended up. I was working on my second novel and a book of essays at the same time, and that was. I found oh, that was a really productive way of working because ah. when one wasn't working, the other was. And ah. for the essays, which were, um, I had to do a lot of research and I had to do interviews yep. and all that sort of thing for. Us, so I could kind of work mm. on that when the the novel just was not moving and kind of feel like at least I was doing doing something.
1: That makes sense too because such different projects, you would have very different headspaces for them. Yes. So um, it wouldn't be a case of sort of moving from one project to something similar. It would be a case of, okay, I need to completely sort of reset or get away from this thing. That's it. Here's a different way of thinking and approaching.
2: And I'd be sitting there, you know, having trying to figure out this novel and how to piece it together and then be like, well, anyway, tomorrow I've got to go and do this three-hour interview with Mm -hmm. someone. And then you've got to go and do that but you can tell yourself, well, I'm doing – this is work also and this is adding towards something. Yeah. So that – it did kind of work –
1: yeah. Yeah, I think that variety is really important. Although I'm, I'm one of those um, terrible uh, aspiring writers who has a million projects on the go at once because <laughs> I'm just constantly dabbling in a lot of different things that I, and I really need to like have one, maybe two that I yeah. sit down and yeah.
2: concentrate on. And I think but that, I think that variety is, is really well. important. I never did many short stories, or mm. and I yeah. never tried to do any um, sort of articles or opinion pieces or all those sorts yeah. of mm. things as I went. Particularly when I had decided that I would write my first novel. Yeah I decided right that's it I'm that's what I'm working yeah, on yeah. and you know possibly to my detriment in that it's so very, very hard, I find, to even to write a short story now and I've only written about five in my entire life. Only. But, yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, I did think, uh, there was a point, I suppose, and it was around the time, so when my first novel came out, that Mm. was, I think, Twitter was just sort of starting up. I didn't even have a Facebook account at the time Mm. and these were things that the publisher was like, you've got to get onto, you've got to do social media, you've got to make yourself into a brand. Mm. which was not really me um, but I felt I had no choice Mm. and it took me a couple of years to realise that both it wasn't necessary or it perhaps would have made me a more successful writer but also I just didn't, the amount of time to put in was not Mm. where I wanted to Mm. put my time, I just wanted to write the books. Yeah,
0: Mm. and that's an interesting thought. So, I mean, coming back to um, doing short stories here and I know some people have found um, a lot, they've found that that gives them good... um, good i guess it's momentum is the thing that's mm. come to mind is that you know you talk about uh work and you have you can have momentum there and you've got goals and things you're achieving study as well um or not achieving and study <laughs> thanks for
1: pointing at me as you said that that's fine <laughs> uh it's the magic
0: of podcasting um and, you know no one would have known
1: yeah I was just like, <laughs> listeners he's bullying me yeah it's
0: fine uh so you know like you can have that momentum and i, I guess that there's there's a path for every writer when you, where you need a certain amount of momentum, depending on what your goals are, of course, mm. and, and how you're trying to get to them. Um, do you find, uh, Melody, do you find that, things that kind of dro- things dropped off first for you? Like you had to make choices about what was going to drop off as you tried to focus your time as things got busier?
2: Um, well, what ended up happening was I published the first novel, that went well, I got a grant so I could work on a second one mm. and I got a different grant to work on these essays. So I had right. a little bit of time when I could just devote to writing and so I did that for a short period of time which was great Um, but then I actually had a really hard time with my second novel and it got rejected by the publisher and I got told to not even bother continuing with it and all of this and so it was really really hard to come back from that and it took a lot of work and so I basically just decided not long after that, I got pregnant and I decided, right, I'm going to finish off both of these works before I have my baby. And it worked out really well because I did not write again for three years.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Um,
2: And I was happy with that because I felt like I'd made that decision and I was not enjoying writing when I got to the point Mm. when, yeah.
0: I want to come back to the, the thought about the, the rejection there, but I will say that for, for me, I made, I made my uh, choice with um, when Bowie was born To um, that to, to, I, I would expect to not write for at least the first year. Yeah. Um, and so I, I have written what I've called a, a shitty first draft. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I, I have written the worst novel uh, that I've ever written. <laughs> Humble I'm really, brag. I wrote it, no, I wrote it on the bus. Um, yeah. And that's why it's so bad. There's so many typos. Like, <laughs> I swear those guys, the amount they break, you don't notice how much they break until you're trying until to write the novel. you're trying laptop, to write like, a like, novel. My like, goodness, give me a train. Never thought I'd say it, um, and no one could see me typing and rocking in my chair. Then just thought of <laughs> but it was good. Um, yeah, so I, I kind of made that decision yeah. personally in terms of carving out time. So what I threw myself into a bit was actually building my um, Twitter presence a bit more, which got a bit out of hand. Uh-huh. Um, and I do it. Well, Dianne uh, Ian you, goes
1: viral quite a lot. Got, viral oh, a few times. Oh, okay. Uh, few, interesting. Of gifts.
0: It's just animal <laughs> gifts. That's all I do. <laughs> Um, but I've found as I've tried to kind of recalibrate now um, after the kind of one-year mark, it's it's interesting trying to get back into it and it comes back to, I think, momentum mm. and trying to get things started. Yep. Um, I have to ask you, you mentioned about that rejection. I I can only imagine how difficult that was mm. because that would have been, um, I, from where I, I sit thinking about that, that would have been really tough, I can imagine. And did you find that that just took the wind out of your sails?
2: It really did. It was It was really difficult, partly because it was... Rejection by an editor who I thought would support me much more and essentially she was saying she didn't think the novel was going anywhere and it wasn't worth writing and in my head I thought it was worth writing and I felt I had enough that I wanted to say with that book and it was partly that it was a very, my first book was a psychological thriller so that was Mm -hmm. kind of a particular type of book and this was around the time of um, Girl on the Train and Mm -hmm. this sort of Mm -hmm. Gone Girl and things like that and so I think she, after seeing the success of those books, was like, write one of those Mm -hmm. but the one I chose to write was this very quiet, domestic, Mm -hmm. um, about relationships and family and all of these things and yeah, so it took me a long time to get back into it and I eventually, I did, mm. and I worked so hard on that book and I remember at one point um, thinking this is the hardest thing I've ever done. Yeah. And by the time I finished it, I thought it was probably terrible mm. and I was really surprised that it did get accepted by the publisher at that point mm. and I was even more surprised, even shocked when it actually had positive reviews because mm. I really thought perhaps the publisher were just publishing it to kind of get me out yeah. of the way and we're <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. So you know it's fine, but just yeah. You know, um.
0: did did you find it? Um, uh, for for me personally, when I sit down and uh, I look at a book that's uh, got an issue of some sort, I find the untangling to be some of the uh, some of the most difficult part. Did you find it was untangling for you or was it mm-hmm. kind of wiping the slate somewhat and starting again?
2: It was so much untangling. Like yeah. I, it was, yeah, like I always think of writing, like I write scenes all separately yep. and then kind of fit them together okay. and this was breaking them apart, rewriting them, changing the structure, like it, the structure changed completely yep. and the book ended up, I don't even know why now, if I ever manage to write another novel it will just have you know, beginning, middle and end and it'll be chronological. <laughs> yep. just be so That's what they all say. <laughs> yeah. But this one had these kind of two major plot twists that kind of meant that the reader, you mm. know, had to not see what was coming and yeah. all of this. And it had to fit together. Someone described it as a three-dimensional puzzle, which yeah. kind of captures how it was. So, yeah, it was a whole lot of work. It felt not like not writing in mm-hmm. that last year I was working on it. It was just fitting it together, like yeah. jigsaw style.
1: Um, Did you find that having those three years off uh, made it easier or harder to go back to the writing? Was it like a reset where you had a fresh perspective or was it like trying to relearn again from scratch?
2: I'm not sure because I'm still so (laughs) early into it.
1: Um, I only
2: started writing, let's say, last August Mm -hmm. uh, while I was on maternity leave for my second child. And I thought, okay, this time round, I kind of know how babies work. I've sorted out one end from the other and I think I've got a bit more time. And so I managed to, um, yeah, and and it was that thing of the pressure. You know a bit more how precious time is so I Mm. could make more of it. Um, But... I yeah didn't write for so long, and I was a bit. I did a little bit of non-fiction sort of writing or mm-hmm. articles in between, um, yep. but not fiction. And yeah, so I started work on a project and that involved a lot of research, so that I could kind of sit with that for a while, mm-hmm. and then it took a long time. And now I'm about thirty thousand words mm-hmm. in. Right and that's pretty good come to a standstill <laughs> so we'll see what happens next but it was a bit scary to go back I had to almost just trick myself yeah. into it by doing all this research and then kind of just starting on a little scene here and it's there it is
1: back in isn't it yep. research is one of those things that you, yeah <laughs> that that wasn't me that was just someone just passing a by party music bus, outside. Yeah, party yeah. bus. Party buses <laughs> of Melbourne um, I forgot what I was saying, thanks to the party bus. Research. Um, research. Yes, research. It's one of those things where if you're a procrastinator, mm-hmm. um, not projecting here, um, <laughs> research can be a bit of a, a, a black hole that you have to be careful not to get too sucked yes. into. Mm. But it can also be a great way to ease yourself into writing yeah. if you can structure it in such a way that it actually inspires the writing. Yes.
0: Mm. I've I found research holes to be an interesting one when it comes to mm-hmm. um, to time as well, because <laughs> uh, part of me just wants to charge on. I recall writing uh, a scene where they were desperately trying to get a steam train going uh, in my third <laughs> novel in the series. And um,
1: were you desperately I, trying to get that scene going?
0: <laughs> I, <laughs> wow. <laughs> here we go uh, sorry Ian, the, yeah, i was i was actually but then i realized this i'm like i can't do this i have to look up how a steam train works <laughs> I, ha- I have to so here's me in the uh, in the um reading room at um uh, state library victoria <laughs> with a bunch of eccentric englishmen sh- starting <laughs> up in steam train and showing up and i'm like oh my goodness half an hour of my time was steam train only. so it was very interesting and and sometimes that can feel frustrating because you want to charge on but unless you do the groundwork exactly
2: because you've got to get it right you yeah. tripped up right
0: and you just know that one if day if you put
2: in that you know they just had to put new batteries in and yeah. the steam train won't you
1: be like uh-uh not going to yeah, work.
0: are like, mm, how did that work? <laughs> yeah. And you know an angry fan is going to put a message and yeah, say, yeah. actually... Yeah. Um, and it can
1: even really, um, it could actually help the plot. Like, if you learn yes. something interesting that um, can give you a new plot direction, for yes. example. Oh, I'm at that point at the moment yeah, where yeah. I'm doing
2: lots of research mm. and telling myself that every time i read <laughs> yeah. something new yeah. about you know what happened in prison yeah, to yeah. these suffragettes that yeah. that is that was necessary and i yeah. could not possibly write another word without knowing this particular thing but it does kind of trigger a whole lot of other thoughts i yeah. think yeah
0: it, it's interesting that when we think about uh, time all of writing is not just writing but it's mm-hmm. um it's the editing and the reorganization and the plotting and the research mm-hmm. and the crying into your coffee mm-hmm. and the, uh, you know whatever it may be that uh, uh, Just as a
1: general hypothetical <laughs> situation. Sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: not projecting. But, you know, like w- whatever it may be in terms of, of, um, of writing, every part of that uh, being valued I think is important. And for me personally when I've sat down, I've, I've found one of the things I've needed to do is to find ways to string myself along. Mm-hmm. So I'd ask for both of you, um, and, and maybe Melanie first, mm-hmm. uh, thinking uh, how do you find that you string together your time? Because it's kind of piecemeal. Mm-hmm. How do you find that you can put something down and then pick it up again easily? Or do you find that's a struggle?
2: It's a struggle. Um, I think I'm finding it harder, yeah, harder now than ever before, I think, because, yeah, I've gone back to work um, and any time – so at the moment I pay for childcare for the kids while I'm at work, Mm. but I can't afford to pay for it when I'm just writing. Yeah, yeah. And also, yeah, and by the time I work, I don't have enough time left in my week that I want – to be away from them as yep. well. Like mm. I do actually want to spend some time with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I find it hard to juggle. So it's very piecemeal. So it'll be, you know, an hour in an evening, maybe mm-hmm. every third evening, or it might be, well, one of them's having a sleep or it might be yep. every... So my partner is also a writer. Mm. So right. we're both trying to juggle that. So we take it in turns, like every Tuesday yep. we take it in turns, one of us gets a day to write and the other one has the kids and it's right. that's how we kind of try to manage it. But I think because, well, partly I've tried to structure this novel into smaller sections so mm. that I'm not writing a whole novel in my head but it's kind of almost like interlinked stories. Yep. So that's made it a bit easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I've always written scenes that yeah. can then be moved around. So I kind of make sure that I am I know where I'm going with it and can write a scene, um, which yeah. I may well throw out later. But, yeah, it's it's hard. It's not easy. I, I admire really your, hard. Scene,
0: your scene writing. That, that, is, <laughs> I, that is very admirable. It's, so.
2: it's great for getting words on the page. It's not so great when you have to spend 12 months of your life then trying to mm-hmm. arrange it into some kind of yes. novel. So it's, would you
0: describe yourself... I'd hate to do it as a pencil or a plotter.
2: I was, I was waiting for that,
0: <laughs> Sorry, I had to ask. Or are you kind of, kind of going neither?
2: I, okay. I mean, I would say I'm a plotter in that I'm uh, a bit of both. Look, it depends. At the moment, yeah. I after my last after the last novel, which was so hard partly because I started writing it without not knowing where it was going, mm. now I'm trying to plot. Yeah. But trying to plot, particularly when it's historical, mm. does mean you need to do more research because yep. you have to make sure that the things you're putting in actually yeah. could happen or those yes, sorts yes. of things so Oh, I don't yeah. know. It's a mess. It's <laughs> a mess. It's
0: all right as long as, as, long as it's working. It's okay. Um, Diane, how do you find you get that momentum?
1: Actually, as part of my procrastination in answering that question, yeah. I actually wanted to quickly ask Melanie a question um, mm. related to what you were saying about um, um, about moving scenes around and about mm. uh, looking at sort of different points of the story at different stages. Um, this is in no way a plug for Scrivener, um, but um, wonderful I'm, tool. Yeah, I'm <laughs> curious to know what program you use for that. Do you yeah yeah, yeah. it's ah, okay, very see. structure based.
2: Yeah, and it's it's really good for that because I can just write a whole lot of different scenes, mm. I can move yeah. things around. I can um, also I can keep all of my research in mm. the same file, so I can sit there and be writing yeah. a scene and then just really quickly check. Mm. you know, whether something um, has worked or not. And I've also got um, Eon Timeline linked to it, oh, which kind of nice. links in with it. So you can set up a timeline oh. of actual events and or mm. character arcs and yeah. things like that. And so then, you know, you can have that, okay, my character, if was born in this year, that means she was 25 at this point, but i oh, hang on, she wouldn't have done this. And that's you can great. move things around and you can directly link the scenes to, like you can put the scenes from Scrivener into your timeline. Yeah,
1: wow. Okay, so, that's really that's
0: Eon Timeline, was it? Yes, yeah. It's an online tool. Yep.
2: And do you uh, do you merge it with Scrivener? Yeah. Like, okay. It's yeah. It's they're not made by the same company, but they're yep. made to work together.
1: That's
0: that great. is great. Uh, that is great. See, I, I don't because I write fantasy. I'm just I, I opt out of <laughs> <Yeah>. world history. <laughs> yeah. so great. And if anyone says to me, "Oh, that wouldn't have happened," then oh, well, it's a fantasy. It world, does so. not yeah. matter. It does not matter. But yeah,
2: it's also really yeah. great for keeping your own. You know, internal kind of timelines for your characters or things like that. Fantastic. Yeah. And then it's particularly if, like me, you move things around a lot. Yeah. Then you might suddenly, like I, in the last novel would change things where someone I was like oh, actually this would make more sense if she was Mm. five years older at this point or if her child was three years younger Mm. and you can just, it will tell you Mm. the ages or you know what other things happened at that period so it just makes life so much easier and my editor Mm. loved it when I finished the book Mm. and gave her this printed out timeline Mm. of here's all the events in the book that are not in chronological order and this Mm. is how they actually happened
1: Yeah Uh so if as you're editing if you notice that she's emotionally reacting to something five years in advance just to uh, Little Look up, yeah, little heads <laughs> up Yeah, right. right. Yeah, I'd, I'd heard it was really good for writing historical fiction, but I didn't realise that there were um, sort of optional extra tools like that that mm. could really kind of outsource that need to uh, sort of double check and reference everything when you're trying to focus on something yeah. like characterization or story. Yeah, it's really cool. Mm
0: it's oh, interesting gee um I, i'll make note of that tool uh <laughs> and, and make sure i bring it up i, I think one thing that i've found is have, i mean having tools like that which you can look back to um and, and you're able to visualize things as well i think is really important mm, because yes. again it saves you from having to try and rehash things i mean i handwrite um, most of my notes is just mm-hmm. what I enjoy doing so the most precious thing I could lose is not my laptop it's all in the cloud it's yep. those books yes um, with, with all the handwritten notes I think that kind of helps me but I find personally when I'm carving out time as well I enjoy um sitting down and do, and going through just with pencil and paper because mm-hmm. I know I'm not doing things on the laptop I know this is just my time mm-hmm. with the book to write it out and mm-hmm. so you know that kind of works for me mm. and I feel like it's productive yes I think yeah um so diane do you feel like you'd like (laughs) to answer that question do you find that you can string things together all right
1: um oh it's it's one of those ones um so I uh when I saw the subject for this podcast I was like oh shit because (laughs) I'm actually in a bit of a writing slump at the moment and I'm one of those people who uh as a writer I tend to have bursts of productivity Mm -hmm. where I can be uh you know the muse will strike I'll write Mm -hmm. 3,000 words in one sitting Mm -hmm. um I might even have like a productive week where I'm just getting really into a particular story Mm -hmm. and then life will get in the way or I'll lose my motivation or Mm -hmm. I'll just kind of lose that thread of what i had Mm. and not touch something for months or even years um and i know like it's one of those i can identify the issue and that it's about me forcing myself to sit down and actually have a structure and write rather than just waiting for inspiration Mm. Mm -hmm. but at the same time I think it's a bit case by case because you also don't want to force a story when it's not ready to That's, come. Yeah, yes, and it's figuring yeah. out that balance yeah. and learning to identify when I'm just procrastinating or feeling just not very motivated, mm. and mm-hmm. when it's, the story is actually just not ready yet, and I need to yeah. either give it time to sort of ferment at the back of my brain, yeah. or mm. um, I think I meant incubate instead of ferment. <laughs> no, I think ferment yeah, is yeah, actually yeah, much yeah. more accurate. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. So, it's, like, it's like a fine wine. Yeah, the know, intense yes.
1: flavors of the of yep. the idea. The notes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all those tannins. <laughs> uh. So, wow. um, yeah, so my my structure at the moment is basically mm. a bit non-existent, but mm. I have actually been – I discovered Scrivener a few years ago yep. and I downloaded it but had only just started using it. And um, I even did a little bit of training in it. Mm. Um, but uh, because there's so much to learn with it and it's about figuring out what works for you and what tools mm. you can ignore and which ones mm. are really effective for you, yeah. I kind of forgot a lot of what I'd learned. <laughs> yeah. And so I've only just recently gotten back into – into um, actually figuring out how I want to use it. Mm. But I have found that's been quite helpful for mm. getting me into the mindset of writing a particular story that's been on the back burner for a while. Yep. Um, it's a little bit like research though in that I have to be careful yeah not, yeah, not to get so <laughs> caught up in the structuring and plotting and planning and like yep. writing backstories and figuring out yep. how I want my corkboard to look yep. that I don't actually do any writing. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, so sometimes it's really helpful for easing me in and other times it's jars me out Mm. Um, but I also have my process um, tends to be when I'm easing my way back into a story I will and some writing wisdom says you shouldn't do this and others say it's fine, mm. but it's what generally works for me. I will actually reread what I've already written mm. and do a mm-hmm. light edit going through, okay. yep. kind of as a reader, remembering the story mm-hmm. as a reader so that I can yeah. get back into it as a writer. And mm-hmm. I find that can often be really helpful, particularly if I've been away from a story yeah. for a few months because yeah. I'm actually sort of – I can look at it as a reader and go, oh, that thing surprised me or I don't mm. – that characterization just seems really inconsistent and I yeah. notice it because I'm coming at it from that new and Angle. Yeah. uh so the short answer to your question Ian, <laughs> is that um my structure tends to be a bit patchy but i am trying to work mm. on uh having something a bit more um uh well structured mm. to be honest no, no so that,
0: that's good. I mean, you talk about a, a story that's time has come uh to put it one way i think that's an interesting thought mm. as well when it comes to not be and i think all writers learn this as they go because when i when i first started i remember um thinking and i'm think most writers like full-time writing that's got to be the aim yeah that's the ultimate yeah. and uh, i remember i messaged um joanne harris who wrote Chocolat, because mm-hmm. for some reason she follows me on twitter <laughs> so i was like well look <laughs> I, I make the most of these. Pretty sure you're not, um, but I was like, "Look, the worst that could happen is she got unfollow me." So I'm gonna do this, and I was like, "So tell me, you know, how long did you wait before you, you know, went full time and what happened?" And she she talked about uh, and she replied, which was lovely and mm-hmm. a really long reply, which yeah. was nice, and just said, oh, "You know, ten years of teaching, and I found mm-hmm. it the most productive time, and now all the writing shit gets in the way, all the writer shit well, <laughs> yeah. gets in the way." And I was yeah. like, "Ah," and, and I totally see that. I think yep. that when you're starting out, there's this um and. Look, I read a wonderful article uh, years ago, which summed it up. That there's this, um, uh, there's this mystique of the writer sitting in an abandoned, you know, hotel somewhere with a (laughs) a typewriter, smoking a cigar, and it's this very, like, you know mid 20th century kind of thing and, and these people traveling around europe and you forget that the reason they were traveling around europe the writer's point was was that um it was in ruins and it was cheap mm. mm-hmm. so that's why they were in these <laughs> yeah. uh, hotel yeah. rooms with the typewriter <laughs> yeah. because hey i can afford to be here and write <laughs> exactly yeah and that kind of got some for some reason became the ide- idealized um version of writing but for most writers I mean, I don't even want to put a percentage on it. It would be very high. Mm. There'd be very few who don't work. And I think very it works few. out quite productively. Yeah. Um, which is what we kind of mentioned. Melanie, so you, you work? Do so you full-time yeah. work?
2: No, I work three days a week, and yep. which was the same amount I was working before I had kids. So I used yeah. to write in the other days okay. and now I don't. Yep. Um, but yeah, if I, if I ever had the opportunity mm. that I didn't have to work, I don't think I'd take it up in mm. the sense of just wanting to mm. write all the time because, yeah, yep. when I've had periods of just writing,
0: mm.
2: I've found that thing of having no parameters. Yeah. It just stretches out too much. Mm. Your brain, I don't know, can't focus as well. Yep. Once it um, becomes
1: work, it's work. Yeah. <laughs> mm.
2: uh, yep. Yep. And I do think that you need – Yeah, that time, that fermenting time for it Mm. to all come together. And I think that's one of the problems I had with my second novel was that the publisher wanted it a lot faster than I could do it. So I I had managed to make a draft Mm. and I knew it was only first draft stage and she was expecting it to be finished. She was like, come on, this needs to. And I knew Mm. it had to sit a lot longer and it changed so much over those next couple of years and I feel like it just needed that amount of time Mm. and it wasn't even that it needed that amount of hours I don't Mm, think that if I had have been writing full-time for a year that I could have done it it needed me to Mm. have lived another three years of life Mm. and to thought about it for that amount of time and and not even all that time you spend um, Mm. I guess just thinking about things and even now that I've started work again on a novel Mm. I spent the three years that I was not writing Mm. reading Mm. and it was such a pleasure to actually just think, oh, I can just actually read. I don't have to have that feeling, that homework feeling of writing, and I can just actually read a book, and I read so many, and that Hopefully has influenced mm. um, in you in some You sometimes way.
1: forget that yeah. reading is another form of preparing as a writer. It, it, yeah. Do- yeah. it really yep. does affect the way you write. Yep. I heard um, this lovely story from a colleague the other day and obviously because this is, you know, friend of a friend type mm. thing, I'm probably going to paraphrase terribly, <laughs> but mm. basically she was at an event um, where Neil Gaiman was in conversation mm-hmm. with someone and uh, was talking about uh, the Graveyard Book, which is one of mm. uh, probably my favourite Neil Gaiman book and also just generally one of my favourite books. I love it to pieces. Mm. And um, he was talking about how he apparently came up with the idea for that book when he was a much younger writer, I think mm-hmm. in his 20s or 30s. Mm. And realised that uh, he was – basically he said he was not a good enough writer to write that book Mm. at that time. Uh, He had to wait until he was capable of writing that book Mm -hmm. and it was 20, 30 years down the track before he did. That makes so much sense, yeah. And and it is a beautiful, well-written, well-developed book and I'm glad that he waited until it was the right time for him to write it. Mm. Um, And it uh, it does remind you that – you sometimes ideas are too ambitious Mm. for the level of writing that you're at and Mm. that's not something to be ashamed of it's not to say that you're a bad writer if you're inexperienced it's just that you do not yet have the tools and skills and experiences to write this story in a way that it deserves that does it Mm. full justice and if you can recognize that then Mm. you've already begun the journey towards being able to write it Mm. I
2: think it's true and conversely actually when I was writing my second novel I read um, Jenny Offal's Department of Speculation Mm. which is this brilliant book and it's um, on the Face of It had a few things in common with the one I was writing. It was mm. about a woman writing a second novel. She, it was yep. about her trying to fit a child into her life mm. and mm. it was um, had made a lot of use of um, astronomy as kind of a metaphor and astrophysics yep. and that which mine also did. And I remember reading it and it was just so beautifully written in this very fragmentary way and mm. it was just so good and I just felt this great relief as I was reading it because I thought, Oh, I don't have the skills to write this book, so mine does not need to be this book. Like I can yeah. just write my kind of B grade version and that's totally yeah. fine. And it was actually Takes the pressure really, yeah. really did. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It was just kind of like,
2: yeah, I'm I can't do that yet. Like I can yeah. I read a lot and so I like to think I can recognise good writing. Yeah. And I was like, this is really good. Yeah. Maybe one day I'll get yeah. there, but yeah. I can't do that now. So that's okay. That's yeah. weirdly,
1: that's weirdly um, uh, inspiring, actually, because oh, yeah. one of the downsides mm. of, you know, working with amazing writers is, and reading a lot mm. of amazing work is that it can motivate you to write, but sometimes it also just makes yeah. you go, I will never be as good as this, yes. or I'm not mm. ready to be this good at this stage. And yeah. it makes you doubt your own writing, even if objectively, yeah. you know, it's actually all right. Yeah. Um, so it's nice to hear that sometimes there are situations where uh, you just go, this is too good to even compete with like yeah. this. Yeah. I just no shade <laughs> also, on my own yeah. writing. Yeah. It's just we're in different like <laughs> yeah. spheres at the moment, so absolutely. I'm just going to write what I want to write. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah.
0: I had that feeling. You, you, it is a nice feeling, and you know it. You just know straight away. I think. It, yeah, it, it's you, you pick yeah. something up, and you're like, that's that's first. Really it's great. a bit of an uglier feeling. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, look, it's um, it's it's like a um. I I love that feeling of being like yeah okay this is great and I I got it with um, Pedrito Street Station was the one time Uh, that mm -hmm. I got it recently I was like oh fine yep. <laughs> let's, do this. You know, let, let's go for this and it yeah. just it got me straight away and I, I love that feeling because there's no two writers that you could say are exact. it's like good yeah. music as well you mm. just know it's something that's really got it's just got depth to it and you're like mm. oh fantastic I can recognize that and so art I guess does that to you doesn't it that you, it can move you it's, yeah. a, it's a nice feeling to know that you don't have to compete I think that's that's a maturity thing though as well right mm. like yes perhaps that um there are many lessons to learn in writing um, you will learn many of them from reading, mm-hmm. but also just from time. I and know.
2: from time. And I think on that, that just my maturity thing. I mm. think I've changed. I used to see or feel writing as a bit more, not of a vocation, but mm. kind of this is something that's really about me that I... Mm. Yeah, I can only be me if I'm writing. Yes. And I still kind of feel that, mm. but I actually feel more like writing is my hobby. Mm. Right. And some yeah. people really hate it when I describe it as a hobby mm. because mm. they think it kind of belittles it. Mm. But I actually just feel like it's the thing that I do that brings me a lot of joy. Yeah. Mm. I enjoy the time I spend doing it. I'm willing to give up kind of, mm. you know, money and time and a yeah. whole lot of other things in order to do it in the same way that people do with all sorts mm. of hobbies And, you know, it's hard to find time for it in the same way that it is for people who, you know, want to do particular kind of craft work or gardening or whatever it is they want to do. Mm. But it gives so much back, I think, when I started to treat it just as my hobby that I do for myself as opposed to I've got to Mm. write because there's this pressure or other people think I'm good at it or, you know, a publisher wants something.
1: That really ties in as well with this emphasis that we, as a society, Mm. tend to have on... um, uh, work as work and yes. passions as passions and if yeah. you're lucky enough to have work that you're passionate mm. about it's seen almost as an indulgence yeah. and so uh, if something is seen as a hobby that's actually a really positive thing but there's kind of these there are these negative connotations attached to the idea of a hobby um, yeah. that I think a lot of writers resent because they have to fight to be recognised as doing work and I work. think success as a yeah. writer is
2: often tied yeah. to yeah. money so it's oh, seen yeah. as yeah. you know it's seen that if you're yeah, if you're published mm. and you're selling and mm. you're this and that then that's success. Yeah. But as yeah. you know, anyone will also tell you that that you know yes, it's great, Mm-mm. but it also comes with its own challenges. Yeah. And if you're not and uh, when I. Yeah. once I finished writing that second novel I just I had no I was having no joy whatsoever mm. from writing like I did yeah, right. not want yeah. to write again and I just thought wow. I just don't care and I think that's one of those things too that time mm. and maturity has just allowed me to go yep now when I'm up to writing it I'm doing this yeah. for me yeah. this is and it yeah. might take me five years to do this novel and that's okay
1: that's that's really good I think it's really nice when um, writers can actually enjoy writing because we do particularly yeah. people who are looking at writing as a career um, place so much emphasis on those sort of tangible markers of success mm. that um, it does become this sort of joyless mm. thing they do almost yes. grudgingly yep. and so yeah. to actually have re recaptured that love of it is so important and does make your writing better as well like if you're writing because you want to be doing it you want to be telling those stories and you're interested yeah, in them, that's, that's, like, that's going to make you a better writer It'll than be if you're yeah. just sort of pushing it out because you feel like you have to. Yeah, you <laughs> feel that
2: yeah. like other people are doing yeah. it faster or better and you're trying to compete and yeah. all of that. It, yeah. it is a,
0: an interesting one. It comes back to a, a Joanne Harris um, uh, I've heard her talk about it a couple of times on um, on Twitter uh, talking about um, amateur as not being something to be looked down upon. Mm. You know, the, the word actually meaning much more than that meaning that you love it so much that you do it regardless of You do it anyway. Exactly. In anyway. some yep. ways that's kind of the the passion of it, you carve out time to, to find it, and yep. it's so precious because mm-hmm. you're not looking for the financial returns. And you know that's that bring financial returns bring with it their own um, their own issues. You know their own um, kind of problems that you face as a result of that. That's right. so it's uh, there's something fantastic about that, and I'm I'm glad to hear. And it's something that maybe uh, maybe some people who are just starting writing need to hear it is about giving space to breathe time mm. that it's okay to not be into writing the actual mm. writing for yep. a bit it's okay <laughs> to be reading to be uh watching great uh content mm. checking out stuff that's okay because it all comes together um to to come into the stories that you need to tell mm. and if you if you need to tell that story you're gonna tell it that's it's gonna right happen. yeah yeah it will uh, happen regardless. yeah well that's a nice this positive been... note to end on <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's a fantastic uh, note to end on so look um Thank you so much, Melanie, for coming and Thank joining you, us. Thank really you for having me. enjoyed this discussion. It's mm. a, it's a, there's a lot of material to cover, so I'm glad we got through it. Um, so, just as we wrap up, uh, we're just going to talk about kind of where people can find us and what we've got coming up. Uh, so, uh, Melanie, where can people find you if they're looking for you online or anything, and what's coming up?
2: Um, uh, look. If anyone wanted to contact me, they can. I have a website. <laughs> I think it still works. I'm not sure. I can confirm it does. <laughs> and um, yes, like for me coming up, yeah. A look, a novel in a very, very long
0: pipeline. Mm. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> and uh Deanne, for you?
1: Uh, so my every time I have to say my Twitter handle and I'm like why? Right. <laughs> it's it's fifi fail is who I am on Twitter. Um
0: She's <laughs> that handle, you know that, right?
1: It's just it's it's become part of me now. Right, I right. also <laughs> didn't know that. That's
0: a- it's okay. We'll see if that changes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Go
1: home and suddenly it's just completely... You completed. do you, I yeah, say. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm 50 fail on Twitter. Uh, I don't really have any particular things coming up apart from, as I mentioned on the last podcast, mm. um, the National Young Writers Festival is announcing mm. its program soon. Yes. Um, and I'm involved with that. So um, I think our co-directors are putting together a really exciting list of artists for that. So mm. And it's happening uh, in early October mm-hmm. in Newcastle. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, but... That's pretty much it for me.
0: Excellent. Well, you can find me at IHLaking on Twitter. I'm slightly less active at the moment. I'm I'm taking (laughs) a little mini hiatus from cat and dog gifts um, <laughs> and retweeting stuff about cats and libraries, because that's pretty much all it is. Um, but you can find me also at com, and uh, you can find us at the Morning Bell Podcast. Uh, and yes, we've got things are, are on the go in the background while Joel's away, but uh, we're looking forward to a great season. Thank you again for joining us, Melanie. Thank you, Thank Diane. You. And we will Thanks see again. you next time. Thank you.